Welcome to Coffee and Therapy, where we spill the tea on therapy-related topics, sip our favorite coffee, and share our expertise with parents, professionals, clinicians, and anyone who could benefit from a little therapy. Welcome back to Coffee and Therapy. With everybody, uh, and everyone, I feel like just on cue there yawned, and our listeners can't. <laughs> it's been a long day. Yeah, a long, long week. Up. Yeah, same kind of vibe. We yeah. record Thursdays for listeners, and our episodes come out on Thursdays. So maybe when you're listening to this, it will be a Thursday like it is for us. And I hope your Thursday is not as long and stressful as it is. I guess for some of us. <laughs> and we've got six more weeks of winter because that's what the groundhog Oh, oh yeah, spoiler alert. This is being recorded on, on Groundhog Day. Did did uh Huxitani Phil say he saw sure a shadow? Did. He sure did. That's how science works. It is. I'm it like, is. why do we still so wait, what are the two this? options? You have six more weeks of winter or what? Like winter just stops? Or winter's all done. Right. Yeah. Spring is I'm... coming. Right. <laughs> but then why do we have a season that starts on Correct. the day? Okay. Correct. Because, okay. I just right. wanted to make sure I was like Because a groundhog weapon. is ultimately the decision maker yeah. in life. Yeah. It's fun. It's Where fun. I live, we have had not a single bit of snow for this entire season. Which is fine. By like, I'm not a snow person, but like, yeah. well, I mean, it's not. I live in the East Coast, so like, it's normal for us to have snow. She lives in Arizona. It's not. That'd be weird. Uh, mm-hmm. We have had no none. Yeah. We have we have been having an abnormal abnormally cold winter, though. I will say, it's getting down into like the 30s at night and in the morning, which is kind of nice. I'm not complaining. Mm-hmm. As a Midwesterner, you think that's nice? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I live in outside Chicago, so it's been miserable mm-hmm. and will continue to be miserable. Before we hit record, Sarah was making fun of me because I am relentlessly rubbing <laughs> oil and chapstick on my lips in hopes that I could stop being miserably but, but dry. But not only your lips, it goes like up to your nose and like down to your chin. Because the chap is real. Whenever you have chap lips, I get it. Always, it always gets I into get the it. frenulum and then like your yes, bottom lip underneath your chin. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's oh, bad. It's the worst. I, listen, I can my... understand. I just watching her like rub circles around her mouth with something shiny for a very very and long did, time and she did just kept talking with an explanation yeah, yeah. <laughs> she just talking like it wasn't happening i'm like i have to address this like <laughs> I, I can see you you know i think because i work with neurodivergent individuals like i'm just so used to all sorts of sensory things and people just being like you do you as long as it's not hurting anybody else that i forget that some of the things I do, maybe I should I should not put in the constantly socially acceptable category, you know? It's like one of my kids the other day, we were doing a sensory workout routine and I was wearing like pleather leggings and a sweater and I was like showing them how to move on the ball and she goes, wow, those pants must be really stretchy. And I was like, was that just the sickest burn ever? Like... Our kids say the wildest things sometimes. I was like, fair. 
they are. They are. <laughs> they, they are. I was like, I, I've lost two pounds, but thank you. <laughs> hey, just just making some room for stretch. There you go. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of kids we work with, today's theme, and I love that we always start off with a little chat. I hope listeners that you feel like you kind of like know us a little bit now, you know, and are sitting at the round table with us. Um, I couldn't remember what the episode was about for a second there. Uh, our today's episode is, was it a good session? So kind of what models good and what does good mean? Hmm. Sorry, we're all busy hating on Alyssa. Who is knocking the microphone? Did I hit it? You've been hitting it, girl. You know what? Not hitting it. (laughs) I wonder if my settings. It's like when she's doing that yoga ball, right? She's like doing all that stretching. (laughs) No, that's weird. It's on this one. Is it better now? She's keeping a beat. Yeah, until until she gets excited, and then just don't. Okay. Yeah, yeah just stay I'm still. So don't sorry, talk listeners. with your hands. Keep your hands. Your I am from New Jersey. Yeah. I cannot not talk with my hands. I you're doing it as you're me. saying. I can't. <laughs> She's talking with her hands actively. Oh, my God. This listeners, I'm so, so sorry. <laughs> I'm going to trim all that that is out. What it's supposed to be about, everyone, is was it a good session? And kind of what qualifies success in therapy. And I think we've touched on this in previous episodes about not every benchmark is the labeler for good or bad. Goals and objectives, hitting them or not hitting them doesn't mean a session's good or bad, which we've kind of talked about. Um, And this week, I put out a reel on Dynamic Link's Instagram page and just how we need to prioritize connection and engagement and facilitating that relationship first over maybe data and numbers for profit margins or insurance companies. Well, and I think something that I always start with and come back to when I'm having that conversation with other therapists is who who are we wondering about this session being quote good or quote bad for? First of all, how are we defining good and bad? Second of all, who is that impacting? Right. I think that especially as newer therapists or when we're doing self-reflection as therapists, regardless of where you are in your journey, it's very easy for that reflection to be about self, to be about, us and specifically the influence that we have within the session, which is of course important. We always have to be checking ourselves. We always have to be aware of what we are and are not bringing into a session, but good or bad. I'd love to hear what you guys have to say about that. But when I, when I think of good or bad, when I'm, when I'm evaluating like the efficacy for lack of better working wording of a session, when I'm assessing whether a, a, a therapy session was therapeutic. I'm assessing it from the perspective of was I implementing, was I supporting, was I bringing in techniques and collaborating with my students or clients in a way that supported what they are working toward. Right. So that takes out the, the me 
it focuses back on them, which again, I think just gets lost sometimes in the very important element of clinical supervision, right? We do have to, like I said, we do have to be assessing, are we, are we, are we doing therapy work? Right. Right, I think. Right. (laughs) And that's right. That can get tricky. So again, I'm going to turn it back over to you guys, but. Well, I think your first question is important of like, who is this for? And it's not necessarily for the client. I mean, the therapy session and the goals and objectives should be written with that client in mind, but often that's so that we can bill insurance. So if we're not meeting those benchmarks and we're not meeting those objectives or goals, we're going to get bounced back from insurance. So I think that's one of the big motivators for that, because if a client doesn't hit all their goals in one session, that doesn't make it a bad session, but insurance might say, well, you can't continue services because we're not seeing progress. It's not going well enough. And I think for, you know, with what you guys do versus what I do in the the private practice realm, I think it's a little bit, it's, it's the same, right? I still have to write treatment plans. I still have to have goals and objectives to prove, I guess, like medical necessity for these insurance companies to pay. But a lot of times I'm not working with people on super highly specific like behaviors or, or, or quote unquote problems. These are like overarching themes in life that creep up and come up over and over again in different ways and different scenarios on different days. And so my goal or my objective with somebody might be to improve the efficacy of their communication with their spouse, right? That can look a thousand different ways on a thousand different days. And I can still be doing, working towards that goal, even if we're just talking about an argument that they had Uh in that session. Uh And I can remember, I had a supervisor once, like forever ago, when I was really struggling, feeling like wondering about my efficacy in, the sessions and like, am I using enough different treatment modalities or interventions or am I, am I doing enough in the session? Which goes Mm -hmm. back to what Noah was saying, like who, who is measuring this? Right. And I was really questioning if I was doing enough and the supervisor helped reframe it for me and said, listen, there are times when you just simply talking and being with a person is a therapeutic intervention because at the end of the day when when a person talks to me they're talking to somebody who has training expertise and experience in the therapeutic practice right in different kinds of I have I have specific skills so talking to me is going to be very different from them talking to the mailman or you know their neighbor or their friend because I'm coming from a lens of psychotherapy and so even just having this conversation that might to me as the as the clinician not feel super productive or super effective because I'm not using very specific or identifiable interventions or modalities aside from just talk therapy it is effective and it is a good session because that person is walking away from that conversation with more than they came in with. 
um, whether it's a perspective or just, you know, relief of having a place to be heard or being affirmed or, you know, normalized or something like that, that is a benefit. And so, you know, my view of what a good session is has changed dramatically over the course of my career because in the beginning I thought it was, well, it's a good session if I have done five interventions and used three different modalities and can, you know, yeah. quantify it in this kind of a way and that kind of and now I'm like, did you talk to me? <laughs> did we have, did, were you here? Were, <laughs> were yeah. you here with me in this room? That's a good session. Um, yeah. So it can really, you know, it really looks, again, this is from a very different kind of environment yeah. and, and, and kind of situation than what you guys work in. Um, but, but it's really hard to think about a bad session. I really, yeah. it's hard for me to identify that. Well, and even if you're saying, right, you know, did, did you talk to me? And he's like, were you here? Did you talk to me? I even think about a play therapy training I went to a few weeks ago where the play therapist was talking about how he had, I think, eight or nine sessions with, with a little one who just was in the same room, but was not at a place where interacting with him was something that they were ready to do. And he said, but that, that was success because we were yeah. sharing a space. We didn't we didn't need to interact. We were within a certain proximity of each other. And that is how we established rapport over yeah. time, right? And recognizing yeah. timelines are different. Rapport is different. I think that was it a good or bad session comes down to, are you identifying and reading the right engagement cues? If you're looking for the wrong engagement cues from someone, you will never have a truly accurate litmus test of whether this is a therapeutic and supportive space for them, right? So if we're if we're looking to the left, but we need to be looking to the right, we're never going to get the data, the information, the the narrative observation that we need to determine was this was this a good session? Am I creating a space like Sarah is saying? that you can come to me and we can do whatever the heck we need to do knowing that we have these long-term goals in mind, but we can't reach a goal if we don't have a relationship as a foundation. Now, I don't know if you follow PlaySpark on Instagram. So if you're a pediatric therapist, great resource. I do. I love out... their merch. Yeah. I bought some of their merch. I love it. So I Oh, I did see you wearing the, the all AAC is yes, communication for is for everyone. Yes, yes, the whale tea. Um, I love it. Oh, so great! I almost bought that one. I bought some other things. Shout out PlaySpark. We'll tag them in the notes. Um, but they put out a reel recently on their Instagram about ways to write goals for engagement that are billable through insurance. Because I think that's the other problem too. Is we get beholden to these goals we write either for our own data or for insurance, but then we write a goal that we're like, wait, this is dumb. Like we picked it from a goal bank because we wanted to check the box, but it wasn't the goal that was really necessary. So they gave out some good ideas for how to talk about engagement of, you know, sort of the same idea of we're sitting in the same space, pointing to and engaging with an object together and really building up those play skills and those levels of interaction. And I think, Sarah, yes, you're in a different field than music therapy or ABA or pediatrics in general, but I think the same sentiment applies that recently at a session. Absolutely. Yeah. With one of my clients who right now we're just working on, can we effectively integrate and regulate the sensory information in our body so we can 
get our bodies ready and be in control of the motor and communication and cognitive skills we want to access. Because this client is highly competent and capable, but is so impacted by their sensory needs. And my therapist was like, they're doing really great like what's next? And I'm like, well, we still have to focus on regulating and then we'll start to level up those communication and level up the cognition. And she's like, I just don't feel like I'm doing anything. And I was like, I hear you take it away. See what happens. Cause we're doing like co-treat and kind of sharing the space right now for that session. So we took away the sensory support just to see what level of support was needed, immediate dysregulation and not accessing communication or the skills that we were asking for. And she was like, whoa. And I was like, yeah, like sitting on the drum while you're banging a steady beat and just getting him to initiate motor control right now is enough and is okay. I know it feels really fine and easy for you and you think it's not enough, but like it is enough. I think that's a takeaway too, is like, what is a good session? What is enough? I think as therapists, we're always fighting, like, does it feel like enough? Does it not? Sometimes think about if you weren't doing every, right. If you weren't doing all of the prompt data as music therapists, if I'm not providing this cue that's going into your cerebellum, that's going up your, you know, motor pathway to your primary motor area and tapping into your sensory systems, like knowing all the neuroscience. If I take that away, your success is going to look different. And there's so much happening in what might seem easy, like you're saying to a seasoned therapist, Sarah, like, oh, that's just like everything I have in my back pocket. But it's because you have a, you know, decades plus of experience coming out onto the table. Right. Yeah. You know, it's one of my favorite things that people will say in a session, which is sort of like how I internally clock to see like, (laughs) are we, how are we doing? Is when people will just say like, yeah, I never thought about it like that. Like, I didn't, I didn't necessarily do any kind of like huge monumental intervention. I might've just asked a question. I just rephrased what they said to me. I just simply questioned something and that changed the way that they now view the entire situation that they were talking about. That's huge because now you're walking out of this session with a different perspective than what you had before. And obviously what you had before was not serving you or else you wouldn't have continued to have the problem with it. So shifting that perspective and just having a different view in on paper might not sound like a huge intervention or like some huge crazy success or, you know, anything spectacular. But now when you carry that view and that change of perspective and that shift out into the world and can apply it to not only this situation, but maybe others, that's, that's pretty monumental. That's huge because now that's changing everything about what you've been doing that has not been serving you properly. Yep. Absolutely. And Courtney, what's interesting. Yeah, I was going to, I was going to laugh to Courtney. So I was going to say for ABA, yeah, it's I was all say, you know, yeah, with with ABA, there's there's also from my limited understanding, of course, there are specific strategies and approaches. I I don't want to use the word regulated, but it's more regulated perhaps than music therapy in that there are strategies, there are known steps and sequences that you take. How do you feel about this idea of 
us saying, well, it was a good session because when something I tried wasn't working, I was flexible and pivoted. Mm-hmm. What what does flexibility and pivoting look and feel like from a, a practical perspective? And if something isn't working in ABA, can't can you freely pivot? Oh and, and yeah. Improvise, right? I'm I'm air quoting improvise. Yeah. But. Yeah. No, that's a good question. And just to put this out there, my brain's like a little mushy. And so that's why I haven't chimed in. I'm like processing everything that you guys are saying. Cause you're like, you're, you're like very clearly articulate, articulating like what I wish I could say also about AP <laughs> sessions. Um, it like, it all applies. I like came in being like, yeah, an ABA session should be fun and, you know, things like that. But I'll, I'll circle back to, uh, <clears throat> to what you were saying. Yes. I mean, we, we have programs written out. We have behavior intervention plans, which I think like all of you guys are very familiar with. You probably do things along the same lines, just in your own, your own way as well. Um, and so if something isn't working, I mean, I'm certainly the first to say like, let's switch it up. Um, I, I mean, I am like the queen of flexibility. I thrive in that. I thrive in change. Um, I do also recognize at the same time, like, which I'm sure all of you also would agree, you have to try something for a good amount of time to really see and really determine if it's successful or not. And after, you know, we've tried X strategy for X amount of time, I certainly am like, yep, let's switch this up. Um, also, a big thing is like, and we we tell parents, we tell our RBTs to please be very open and honest with us. Like, if they're seeing that something isn't working or if parents know, like, that's actually not going to work, um, cool. We want to we wanna dig into that a little bit more and then figure out what is going to work. Um <sighs> I lost my train of thought, but <laughs> that's <okay>. yes, <laughs> yes, yes. I I feel like everybody thinks like ABA is just like black and white and it's like, nope, we're following the rules. This is how the plan goes. And I also maybe um, am not very many people might agree with me on this, but I tell my RBTs that I 110% trust their clinical judgment knowing that I have also worked very hard to train them, knowing that I also provide supervision for multiple hours a week. So I know how they're doing. I know how they're interacting with my client and I know how my client is interacting with them. And so if they see, because the RBTs, the BTs are generally the ones who are implementing the therapy. Which is um, Registered Behavior Technicians, Behavior Technicians. It's yes. in our acronym episode, but I feel like that was a year ago, so we got to tell people what it yes, is. Yes, yes, thank you. Um, if they are finding that something isn't working, I want them to pivot. I want them to feel like they have that um, knowledge of the client to know, actually, this might work a little bit better instead. And then they just circle back and check in with me and I'm all about it. I'm like, cool. If that's working, I'm going to update that program. I'm going to maybe we tweak the goal a little bit too. Um, and say like, that's what we're going to move forward with. Yeah. And I think it requires that for people who are listening that 
maybe don't feel that level of flexibility and pivoting, right? Young clinicians, I think, get stuck in this, mm-hmm. was it a good session or, or lobbing or getting stuck on goals. I don't know why I keep saying lobbing today, uh, but keep getting stuck on goals because flexibility and pivoting is hard. It's hard. You have to have that arsenal of strategies built up or a really quality supervisor who has that time to support you through that, which is, you know, the model I'm building at my practice. It seems like the model your practice is building, which as we've kind of talked about, isn't always the standard in ABA, which Mm -hmm. is frustrating because then like you're saying, I don't know that everyone would say they trust their RBTs. And I think Mm -hmm. it's because there's a lot of BCBAs who are overseeing 20 RBTs and give one hour supervision a month yeah, or yeah. something. I, I don't know what's the, the true ethical standard where people are going to get in trouble if they're doing something like that. But mm-hmm. so I'm sure that was over dramatic exaggeration. I apologize. Mm-hmm. But I think you have to be confident in your skills to be able mm-hmm. to pivot in the moment too. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's so critical. And I think for ABA, because you're seeing clients daily, it's easy for you to be able to update the goal and then bill insurance on the new goal. Whereas maybe for like music therapy, we're setting three months, six month, one year goals for insurance, right? I'm being hopeful that one day we'll be billable through insurance. So it's harder to be flexible on goals too. So I think we have to write goals from a place of true understanding of the individual and mm-hmm. set something that's realistic and still allows us to be flexible. And that mm-hmm. can be challenging. Mm-hmm. Of yeah. How do I write this that I can pivot and meet it enough? You know, I think sometimes I get too specific on goals. Oh, mm-hmm. I absolutely and then- do. I absolutely, I, <laughs> I, and that's, it makes me giggle because in my head, I would think I'd be great at writing goals because I'm so detail oriented, but man, it really bites me in the tush when it's time to sit down because I know with such high levels of specificity what I am there to do but my goal does not have to have that in it (laughs) you know and that's why I'm always just like can someone else look over my goal or um, I love to write goals with other clinicians who are actually not music therapists so like I just wrote um, goals for a kiddo I share with a speech therapist and she knows me I'm like girl I just I'm going to go, I'm going to deep dive with this. Can you reel me in? And it was great because when we looked at our goals and we were done, we were like, ah, it gives us the flexibility that we need to work on these five different things, but we're not saying it, but we are, and it's clear, but it's just vague enough, man. What a, what a dance that is. I, Yeah, that is it. It is such a dance, right? It's like, how can I be clear, but flexible, vague, but but understanding, right? It's like, how can I juxtapose this thing that I need? And it's but hard because also, we... it's the same thing though. With like, was this a good or was it a bad session? It's a right, dance. Yeah. You're you're constantly ebbing and flowing between yeah. the two. And I and I think that yeah, it's important to be flexible and to improvise to some degree. But I was just saying to one of my colleagues today that you have to be flexible and improvise with where you are right now. So for example, I was meeting with a first year therapist. She's not even six months in yet. And we were talking, we were going through a clinical scenario. We were talking about some different directions she could go. And I said, my 12 year clinical brain tells me to try this. 
that's not the only way. Let's tap into your one-year clinical brain because that's a really valuable place too. And let's identify where your flexibility and your pivoting is right now because that's also really valuable. It doesn't have to be your 12 level to be supportive, to be effective, to be therapeutic. And she was like, yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, let's, yeah, yeah. It sounds like the common theme here is that empowerment through supervision, right? Of if you empower your people to trust that they can make their decisions yep. and feel confident and trust in the moment that I am enough, right? I am good and mm-hmm. my intention is good and it's yes. backed in whatever research and support I have, then that is quote unquote good. Yes. Yeah. And even I, your I have weakest like, intervention is still yes. a benefit. Even your weakest, your 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 worst <laughs> therapy yeah. day is yeah. still better than a non therapy day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah did, did I care? Was I flexible? <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Was I prepared? Again, whatever prepared yeah. looks like for your profession. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. if those like Alyssa's saying that word intention. If those intentions are there, those mm-hmm. necessary steps as a therapist from a from a preparation, from a flexibility perspective are there, I think I think that's where we have to start before we start to critique ourselves to the point where yeah. that's just not beneficial for anyone. Preparation is key. I even for me, who's been doing this for a decade, when I'm in a situation where I feel like it wasn't enough it's usually because I didn't prepare enough because I feel like I can go in on the fly and I usually can not to like toot my own horn, but I have enough built up in the back of my brain that I feel like I can go into any situation in my wheelhouse and be successful. But I was in one of my groups and I was like, well, this was fine, but it didn't feel good. And it was because I wasn't prepared enough. And then I prepared overprepared. I was like, great, we're going to do a couple weeks. We're going to map this out. And it was the best session we've ever had. And it was because I prepared based on their needs and that was success. And I had someone else who also gave me a new perspective of some things. And I was like, wow, this is, this is great. This is so helpful. That support 10 years in for me, if you're a clinician who's listening, who's been doing your job for a while and you just feel like you're not hitting whatever good feels like to you, I highly recommend finding a supervisor even if it's someone who's an allied professional who supports the same people you support. Um, So if you're a music therapist and you have an OT who could supervise you and help you level up regulation stuff or an SLP or a social worker, if you're working a lot in mental health, finding someone who can give you that guidance if you're not at a place where you're getting supervision, because I, I run my business, so I don't have someone I report to that's my supervisor. So getting an outside supervisor for me was key. It com- it changed everything for me 10 years in because I need someone who has 20 years in who can give me even some more of that. Um, yeah. 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 Supervision, preparation. And the other thing too, I think what's most interesting with ABA specifically for Courtney um, is because, right, everyone always says ABA is a science and And it is because you get a master's of science in it. And it's so evidence and research based. What's what I find a challenge for a lot of clinicians, right, is they read a research article 
for us in music therapy, there's never like a protocol that accompanies that research article that you can then just download of like, here's that protocol I use to get X effect. And I think similar in ABA, right? Because people, you have to buy that. They don't want to just give you their protocol. They want you to pay for that protocol. But also research is isolated. As I'm doing research right now and I want to help people with protocols, what was good in research and showed a significant effect in research isn't always the end all be all of a significant effect of the person in front of you. Like you're saying, Courtney, like you're not beholden to a program because it's the program that was effective from this research study. You tried it and then you go, Oh, it doesn't work for this person. So just cause there's something that is quote unquote effective in your therapy field, it doesn't always mean it's going to be effective with the human being in front of you either Mm -hmm. so you can't say that it's good or bad if it didn't work yeah I mean that's the big piece of like individualization and I hear you guys saying like we're gonna pull goals from goal banks and do this and that like I'm gonna pull stuff from research articles and yes great like I'm gonna use the overarching concept but like that overarching concept strategy procedure like I need to tweak it to make sure that it is working for my client which also might mean bringing in another strategy to pair with that strategy and maybe out there in the research universe those two strategies paired together haven't been researched yet but I found I know a lot about this strategy I know a lot about this strategy so I'm going to put them together because I know that they're going to work for my client and that's I mean individualization like I mean we're talking about overarching you know labeling good sessions like individualization was it individualized for the person that you showed up for cool another another key factor in was it a successful session or not yes yeah I cheers love that. yep yeah absolutely and with research too it's ever changing so if you're using something that was researched a decade ago right like i'm not allowed to cite things that are over a decade old in research unless it's something that led to another something, right? That like spiraled it. But if it's over 10 years old, we don't know if that's still applicable. So I think too, sometimes we get beholden or locked in to research that happened. And there are new things, right? That Those two strategies, whatever X and Y strategies that Courtney's saying hadn't been researched and paired together. Maybe they were right now in the last six months. And it's like, oh yeah, I was on to something. Like, yes, it struck mm-hmm. a chord. Mm-hmm. Like in undergrad, we didn't learn about sensory regulation. Some of the, a lot of the information we have on interoception and proprioception and vestibular input, these three senses beyond our five main senses, this is new. Like this is last five years, the level of research we have. It's been around a long time, but the level of research, understanding and knowledge that we have of diverse sensory systems and processing styles, like 2014 on till now, the ability we have to map the brain I graduated undergrad before then. I didn't have any of this research. And I feel like everything I read is so different. So also if you're preparing with materials that are based in information that might be outdated, and that's more work on us as clinicians, but really understanding where are we in the research now and what is, you know, our evidence-based practices and the, the research showing us is the best informed practice. I think everyone interacts with research in different ways, right? Some people just are hungry for research and they seek that out on their own. And that's something that they enjoy perusing. If you're like me, I see the value in research. I just, 
I'm just really not someone who likes to read for leisure, as, as awful as that sounds. I think I'm doing so much reading for work all the time. I'm like, oof, I'm done. So doing something like if you have a team that you that you work within, doing a almost like a, a book club, but it's like a research club where you have a different person in the group. Maybe they're not even music therapists. They're pulling from different journals, right? Yeah. Being able to come in, have that be a nice point of discussion, a nice way for you to expose yourself to what's happening around you. But in a peer supported environment, if you're like me again, and you just don't like to read, it, it feels a little bit less painful because it's still that yeah. largely social experience. So that's what I try yeah. to do. Peer supervision, peer support groups, and even the beauty of the internet that we have. If you follow Instagram pages or YouTube channels that you know their basis of knowledge and their level of expertise and that they're pulling from research. When they post something, you go, oh yeah, or they quote it and they quote what article it's from. Like we've put them in our notes before, Big Little Feelings on Instagram. I know Courtney, you love them. They are always citing research and quoting Mm -hmm. things. Like I follow people who are citing what I wanna be learning more about. And I think that's the beauty we have in the world. It can be an abundance and an overload of knowledge, but we have so much more access now in ways that are digestible because yes, research also isn't accessible for everyone. I mean, research language, you have to read. I, I mean, I'm a master's finishing my master's right. Master's level clinician. I read an article and I failed the project that I was submitting the article on because I read one word that I didn't know and I didn't look it up and I assumed I could understand what that word meant. I assumed it was the opposite of what the word meant. So I interpreted all of the data incorrectly. And my teacher was lovely. She was like, I think you you missed something here, try again. And then I was like, oh, I didn't know what the word, I'll tell you what it was, let's see if you know it. Attenuated? No idea. Yeah, doesn't that mean I, you like you're in line, like you are connected and paid attention to? Like you would think that's not yeah. what it means. Mm-mm. It means to thin or diminish. I am positive. Ext- I have used uh-huh. that word. Yep, <laughs> incorrectly. You have, ex- in my life. you have extenuating circumstances which overtake, and you have attenuating. That's the antonym, which I didn't know. The, I didn't know extenuated and attenuated were the antonyms of each other. But it means to thin and to lose. And I thought it meant exactly what you thought, to attend to more strong and significantly. So I read the article as like, oh, this is helping you. And it was, no, this is harmful. It makes you lose attention. <laughs> which I I could drop the article in the show notes if people want, but it is cool research that your brain loses attention at over 120 beats per minute for neurotypical brains was the the data. I thought it was really interesting. Once you got over 120 beats per minute of music in the background, if you're like listening to music while studying, you are attenuating away from your focus. You are thinning your focus. I'm sure I'm not even using that word correctly. Well, hopefully you're never closer forget. than you were in your project. Hey, yeah, exactly. Hey. Thank you. Thank you to my professor for letting me try again. So, but, okay, oh. ladies, do you think that, like, then, I mean, kind of, like, encompassing what you guys were just talking about in, in about that stuff, would you, like, say, like, the overarching theme there was, like, a successful session might be, like, going in, like, open-minded, um, like, well- well-versed in um 
I'm trying to find in the research? words here. In research. <laughs> like, yeah. Courtney's in yeah. Neverland. Yeah. I, mean, I, I think knowledge of research, it can be really helpful. But my, I think my point from that long story, long story is that research is hard to interpret and read and understand. Mm-hmm. And I think open-mindedness to different perspectives and finding ways to take yeah. those in and learn mm-hmm. is key. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if you follow people that are going to give you the information you're seeking or you seek supervision from those people or you find resources that make you feel prepared with knowledge, I think that's what really could set you up for a quote unquote good session Mm -hmm. because you came in with the knowledge to do the best service that you can. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But that's the exhausting part of our jobs Mm -hmm. is there's always more knowledge and more learning to be had. Mm -hmm. But you have to have the desire to always be the one learning. You have, you have to always be a student, even when you are a clinician. And I think that's really easy to, you kind of get into this groove, you kind of get into this level of complacency or confidence or comfort. And that is where nobody, nobody in the equation is winning. So I I I think that's maybe another key ingredient for, was it a good session? Am I actively pursuing opportunities to continue to learn and grow? That's a and that's that a topic. Be, that's a whole separate topic. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say so that has all, to be sustainable. Yes, and we all. I mean, I'm assuming for you guys, like for my license, I have to have continuing education oh, yeah. credits yep. every mm-hmm. year and and whatever. And and I found myself slipping into this. Like I would take these uh, continuing ed classes on topics that like I already knew about because I didn't have time to do a 20 hour course or whatever so I would do something that I already knew about just so I could get the credits and then I was like girl (laughs) like who is this this is not serving you this is not serving your clients and so now I really try to look at things that I don't really have a ton of foundational knowledge about or or that there is like what what you were saying Alyssa where things you know research just keeps like piling on piling on piling on every year so new things come out so I might not be on top of the newest research um which is way harder it was super easy to take a CEU course on anxiety and get six continuing ed credits that I didn't even have to pay attention to I could just skip to the end and take the 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 quiz thing that's super easy. I could do it in, in an hour, right? Or I could dedicate time. Don't come for Sarah's license. <laughs> I mean, I was doing the stuff. I got all the credits, but it wasn't to the to the best of for the service of my clients and, and the people who I serve. So I had to change that. And now I'm, I take continuing ed courses on stuff that I'm like, I'm not even really super interested mm-hmm. in this, but let me see if maybe I am. <laughs> maybe by the end yeah. of this. Am I, in a, am, I, am I in a coast or growth mindset? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Love that. exactly. Love that. And the coast, while I'm sure people listening are like, oh my gosh, how could you do that? I think it's also really speaks to the level of work and effort that we have to do to just maintain our professional yes. status. And finances that go with that, time. When we talk about work-life balance, Sarah's favorite percentages. Ugh. You know, how much energy do you have to exert 
doing your work, serving your clients, leaving space for them, leaving space for yourself, and to do all this continuing ed, it's a lot. Yeah. The sustainability the of the system. The yes, the There is cost. a training that I am dying to take, and that thing is $3,500 just mm-hmm. for this thing. I am fascinated by it. I'm super interested in it. I really, really, really want to do it. But I don't have $3,500 just laying around begging me to spend it on a, a course that is yeah. going to expand my knowledge about about stuff, but I'm not really going to have much space to practice it. Um, mm-hmm. So then mm-hmm. you're left with what, what do you, what do you do? So it is, it is, it's a, it's a dance. It's yeah. a dance. I think as everyone's taking listeners are taking in those perspectives, like if you're doing what you can with what you have and you're going in with the best intentions, I think that's, okay to define as good for yourself we can want to know more and want to do more and have limited funding or limited access to be able to reach that so doing the best with where you are with what you have and what you can I think is good and is enough and if anyone has any questions about anything that we've talked about if you'd like some some direction with resources, reach out to us. We're, we're always happy to guide you in that direction. I think Alyssa definitely, you know, talking about this idea of having a a supervisor, having someone that you trust to be able to run these situations, scenarios, thoughts by it's really important. You can, our our self-critical brains don't always serve us as well as we hope that they would. They're nagging. They're very harsh and unkind. So find, find that person that maybe, maybe it's a friend who is a completely untrained therapist. And I think in some ways they can give you the, the support that you need. But when you're really assessing, am I doing my best clinical work? Am I a good clinician? Am I providing good therapy? That's where I would really suggest finding a trusted fellow therapist in some line of therapy work. And because she won't plug herself. Noah and myself both do provide supervision if you're looking for a person in, you know, the pediatric realm or music therapy realm, child development realm. Um, we would be happy to be a resource or refer you to someone if we don't think we're the right fit for you. So I'm sure Cordy and Sarah would do the same for people who are looking for those services. I don't know that they have the capacity to support supervisees right now, but they can certainly point you in a direction if you're like, yeah, you know about things I want to know about. So please DM us on Instagram at Coffee yes. and Therapy. Email us, coffeeandtherapy at gmail.com. Courtney says yes. Courtney has affirmed she will help you out. Um, happy to. More than yeah. happy. Sarah's like. Me too. I'm not a, I'm not a, <laughs> I don't have my supervisor license thing or whatever, but I could probably point you in the right direction. So. Oh, we don't have to have that in music therapy. Regulated licensure? Man. We should. We have to have a specific, yeah, we just have Mm -hmm. a specific uh, supervisor. I forget what it's called, but I don't have it. So, (laughs) but I'll help you out. (laughs) (laughs) I'll help you find someone who does. (laughs) I'll figure out what it's called first. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Well, any final thoughts from the Therapies? What should we call ourselves? The Thera mm. Queens. Oh my Thera god. Queens. Queens. Ooh! I like it. Oh, that's so good. 
You're welcome. Lyric queens. I've been by us all crowns. I love it. I Real queens always fix each other's already. crowns. Oh, I've got one. Are we wearing crowns for our next recording? We totally Let's do could. it. Uh-oh. Totally Let's do it. Uh-oh. I think <laughs> a final a final statement here is that I tr- I truly in my heart of hearts believe that if no harm is done then the session was good. <laughs> was it your best session ever? Maybe, maybe not. But I I think that like what Noah what you were saying about us being our like own worst critics and our our internal dialogue being kind of mean sometimes and harsh I think that's true and I think that we have to remember that not every good session is going to come with a list of interventions and quantifiable uh what's the word that I'm looking for um measure measurable data points yeah not everyone not every good session comes with that it's it's sort of like that what, what is that all all rectangles are all squares are rectangles but not all rectangles are squares like yeah it's kind of like that situation where you you it's a good analogy i I live for analogies um that's one of my therapeutic inventions uh interventions i uh you invented analogies i I, little known (laughs) facts you know don't she's a recording artist she's the inventor (laughs) of analogies yes um she's iconic you know it is, um, I can't help myself. The fabulousness just like flows from my pores. Um, but no, yes. so that is, it's really, you can have a, a, you can have a good session. You can have an effective session. You can have a, a positive therapeutic interaction with an individual. And it doesn't necessarily have to check all those boxes and, and have all of those measurable data points that we're talking about. I think that it, there's so much power to be had in just being with a person, meeting them where they are, connecting with them, and connecting with them from the lens of a person who has training, expertise, and experience. Mm-hmm. Point blank. Love so mic drop from mic, the therapy. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. <laughs> Boom. Mike to the side drop. (laughs) Well, on that mic drop note, I think they've gotten what they need here from us. So it was a good session. It was a good session. A good session. If you need more, you know where to find us. Gmail, coffee and therapy on Instagram at coffee and therapy. Keep the convo flowing. Reach out to us. But for now, bye. 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 Thanks for listening to Coffee and Thera Tea. Keep the conversation flowing and follow us over on Instagram at Coffee and Thera Tea. Questions, thoughts, ideas? Email us, coffeeandtherapy at gmail.com. We can't wait for you to listen in again soon.